0: to the Stranger Times podcast. This is author CK slash Queve McDonald here. I hope you're well. As always, thank you for tuning in. I was going to say this is a special episode, but let's be clear, they're all special. I mean, in the last couple of months, we've had Eddie Brimson, Jason Manford, Janice Connolly, Angela Barnes, Michael Legg, Toby Haydock. I mean, every single one of them is their own special little snowflake. This week, though, is a little bit special in a different way. As we're about to have a sneak preview of this charming man, book two in the Stranger Times series, that is coming out on February seventeenth in hardback, ebook, and audiobook formats. I'm assuming that has not come as a total shock to you. I have mentioned it quite a few times before. Before we get to that, by the way, sincerely, thank you very much for everyone who's been uh, supporting the podcast, leaving reviews and stuff. In fact, a couple of people did ask me how they could support the podcast and the things. Basically, how you support an author generally is sort of the greatest things you can do are obviously buy their books. Great. Leaving reviews really does help. To be honest, I would say to people, the single biggest thing you can do is if you're enjoying the podcast, book, whatever, stick it on social media, because honestly, when you think about it, A recommendation from a mate is going to sell more books and get more people into a podcast than a massive billboard in Times Square is. I mean, don't get me wrong. If my publishers are listening, I would also still like that billboard. I've asked twice now. I'm being very reasonable about it. I'm pretty sure they're very cheap. But so far, no billboard. But yes, if you would like to show support, that is the best way to do it. And thank you in advance for your patronage. So, yes. What we're about to hear is, uh, as I said, an extract from This Charming Man and the other book, which of course will be narrated by the legend that is Brendan MacDonald, no relation. Incidentally, Brendan, no relation, will be joining me for the launch party for This Charming Man, the online launch party. And that'll be happening, we expect, on February the 16th. It's not 100% yet, but that's hopefully what's going to happen. Things are a little bit up in the air at the moment because of... Uh, stuff, life, you know yourself. But as always, uh, sign up to the main list on StrangerTimes.com if you haven't already, and uh, watch my social media for the exact details as well. When I say that, you can get that the Stranger Times has its own Facebook page, as does Queve McDonald, and Queve McDonald has his own Twitter handle, which is C-A-I-M-H, because that's the only upside for me and the only idiot in the world who is using that name. Why have I started referring to myself in the third person? I don't know. I don't like it, but I can't find a way of stopping now. So the chapter you're about to hear features a character that was only really supposed to be a bit player in the Stranger Times universe, but he sort of wheedled his way into the plans. That man is the one and only Stanley Roker, aka the worst kind of tabloid journalist, an irredeemably awful man. And I think what interests me about him is, well, I wonder if he actually might just maybe turn out to be redeemable. He actually became a lot more interesting to me due to a short story I wrote for this very podcast. Hardened veterans can cast their mind back to episode two of the first season, when we're all so young and fresh-faced. And the annoying, perpetually fresh-faced Matt Green... Sorry, the annoyingly perpetually fresh-faced Matt Green. The annoying perpetually fresh-faced Matt Green is a very different introduction and really quite a vicious slam into what's a lovely man. So I was calling him annoyingly perpetually fresh-faced Mac Green. See? This is why you practice these things beforehand if you're a professional, which I am not. Anyway, Matt Green, him with the face that never gets old. Uh, he read the story Dance with the Devil. In it, Stanley gains an understanding of the weird and terrible things that are out there in the Stranger Times universe, while simultaneously losing a wife, all in the one night. And that story really got me interested in Stanley. And it made sense that he would come to the Stranger Times as the only place he can try and find answers to the questions he has and maybe, just maybe, find a little bit of redemption. So Stanley is a kind of associate member of the team, I could say, in this book anyway. I genuinely don't know what's going to happen in the future, but that's all the fun. So yeah, in the meantime, here is a man who's fallen on hard times in a way that I think I could relate to. I think, to be honest, if I ever lost the missus, where we find Stanley is where we'd find me. So if she ever, when, she, when and even if, when she finally decides she's had enough of my nonsense and Wonder Wife leaves me, this chapter will basically tell you where you can find me. Anyway, enjoy. Take it away. Brendan MacDonald, no relation. Stanley
1: Roker leaned back on his stool, pushed away his glass and belched loudly. Susan, the girl who had served him every day for over a week now, was long past the point at which she felt obliged to hide her disgust. Jesus, Stanley! Stanley said nothing in response. Instead, he reached into his pocket and popped a couple of the antacids he now took before, after and often during meals. Everyone knows there are five stages of grief. What is less well known is that there are five stages of sympathy. Stage one is the sympathetic ear. Susan had lent hers for the first two days, concerned nods, a tilt of the head, listening to Stanley as he told her his woes. She had tried to give him numbers to ring and suggested people to talk to. Stage two is the pick-me-up. She'd spent less than a day on this. Stanley wasn't one for the rah-rah speeches and Susan was too Mancunian both by birth and nature to be able to pull off the requisite level of positivity. Stage three is tough love. This was certainly more in Susan's wheelhouse. She'd given Stanley the mother of all rollicking bollockings, so much so that another customer, a middle-aged woman with a maternal air and a yappy dog, had felt moved to intervene. Berating Susan for her lack of compassion. That same woman proceeded to sit there and listen to Stanley for about an hour, during which time she rocketed through stages one to three at record speed. She'd absconded after her dog had decided to bite Stanley on the ankle and left a large tip in her wake by way of an apology to Susan. Stage four is sullen silence. Susan had essentially given up on Stanley, as, to be fair, had Stanley. He kept coming back, though. He'd been outside the door again this morning, waiting for her to open up. And so now they existed in a state of mutual indifference, like a married couple who'd realised long ago that they'd made a mistake but didn't have the energy to bother to fix it. Stage five is inversion. At this point, the sympathiser finds themselves having completely reversed their initial position. Susan was now dangerously close to this point, switching from sympathising with the man who had been kicked out by his wife to being entirely on her side. Over the last week, she had discovered that sympathy is a finite resource and she was beginning to fear that Stanley Roker had used up her lifetime supply of it. She didn't understand what he was doing here, Really, a pub was the perfect place for the level of deep personal depression in which Stanley was engaging. She'd stopped short of suggesting he find one, assuming that if someone like Stanley was steering clear of purveyors of alcohol, it was probably for a very good reason. Or perhaps that was where he went when she closed up for the evening. Whatever the reason was, she doubted it was because he was worried about his health. It was barely lunchtime, and the man had just finished his second milkshake after dourly gobbling up three chocolate chip cookies, a slice of caramel cheesecake and three triple scoop bowls of ice cream. Despite the amount of money he was spending there, Susan was growing more and more concerned that he was bad for business. The spoonful of sugar was a dedicated dessert bar. It sold joyful self-indulgence Treats to lift the soul and temporarily derail the diet. Stanley, an overweight pile of sweat-soaked misery sitting at the counter and hogging the eatery's air conditioning, was a terrible advert, both for the experience and for the products being sold to the general public. It was like a chicken shop whose new mascot was a rooster mid-coronary, a gin maker with a tearful mascara-streaked woman as its poster model a hairpiece company that showed you what a man really looked like while wearing a hairpiece. People were coming in, seeing Stanley grimly gorging his way to an early grave via the medium of highly calorific confectionery, and were leaving again, without indulging in anything bar the use of the bathroom. He was a one-man government health warning. He slammed a fist against his chest, unleashed another belch and looked down at the 48 flavours of ice cream. Right, I will have... No, said Susan, who hadn't even realised she was going to say the word before she blurted it out. What? No, Stanley, I'm cutting you off. Stanley shook his head, as if trying to clear away the cobwebs, and looked at her again. What? he repeated, before adding, Can you even do that? Watch me! said Susan. Thank you and goodbye. You're throwing me out? Yes, I am. Stanley reared back and straightened himself up to his full, unimpressive height. You and whose army? Susan drew a baseball bat from under the counter and gripped it tightly. Stanley looked at it. You're a dessert shop. Why do you have a baseball bat under the counter? There are some very angry diabetics out there. Well, I'm not leaving. Susan didn't consider herself a mean person, but everyone has their limit. Yes, you bloody well are. To paraphrase your wife, get the hell out and never come back. Stanley looked aghast. I told you about that in the strictest confidence. Bugger off, Stanley. You've told anyone that would listen. You told the bloke who came in to fix the coffee machine yesterday, and he didn't even speak that much English. Stanley shook his head. Right, this is it. This is the moment. I thought I'd hit rock bottom when I was attacked by some demented demon or when my wife left me or when I was informed that a week later she'd shacked up with that bastard Morris Glenn. But no, this... This moment, getting booted out of a bloody dessert shop. This is rock bottom. There is no possible way for me to sink any lower than this. It shouldn't really be possible to identify someone you have seen only twice in ten years just by the sound of them clearing their throat. But Stanley was able to do precisely that. He hung his head. Why did he insist on dangling his unmentionables in the wind for fate to boot him in time after time after time? Behind him, Vincent Bancroft spoke in an unnecessarily cheery voice Hello, Stanley!
0: Thank you for listening to the Stranger Times podcast. If you've enjoyed it, then please leave a rating wherever you get your pods. It really does help. And The Stranger Times Novel by C.K. Macdonald is out and is available from all good bookshops and some bad ones. And check out StrangerTimes.com for more weird news and to sign up to the newsletter where you can also get yourself a sweet free ebook containing some Stranger Times short stories. This podcast is produced by Rob B at BEE with Ed Wilson, Exec Producing and all materials are copyright with e. Inc. Limited. All of the short stories are written by me, C.K. Macdonald and the music is done by Alan McGuire with John McCullough as musical Svengali.